Welcome to the show, Untaining Your Pain. Honestly, so excited to have on the show today, Suzanne. Welcome. For having me. This is a pleasure. Those of you that don't know this phenomenal woman, Suzanne is, is, uh, holds the title of the to have accomplished the Explorer's Grand Summiting, the tallest mountains on each of the seven North, North and South Pole. Um, so defining, designing, and uh, and a number one in, international best-selling how to make your life, your team, and your leadership a grand. And over the last three decades, she's worked with worked with independent leadership roles uh, to summit their own Everest and meet. She's worked with Fortune 100 companies, emerging leaders, and teams to meet best practices, patients, and also wow, what a phenomenal uh, you're bringing to the table today in the context of brain health. Thanks. Thanks so much. <laughs> For those that um, I know we've described a nominal, nominal journey, but could you just describe yourself in, in, in if we're doing an elevator, where your, your, your key strengths for yourself? So I think one of the key strengths that I, that I would talk about is, um, you know, we all resist, we change, change and over our entire life change change and adapt and so I think that that's um, uh, something that I would I haven't created for that for that you know but <laughs> I, I think I um, um, what I do instead is I um, hey, hey do you have a goal that you would like to reach do you have um, of those individuals who only eight percent of individuals goals Wow. So, yeah, eight percent. I just I was, helping, I was helping. I was coaching somebody, and only uh-huh. eight. That's so, not, so not a lot is it? No, it's not a lot. So, I, do you know how? I I know this is probably a bit of a lot. How what how that reflects in the terms of the number summit Everest? Because it, it's not a lot, is it? No, so I did the re- did the research the other day. I, I can't say exactly. Um. Because I think Everest has more. I did, I did follow that for a while. More uh-huh. summiters than. <laughs> but I read an article the other day that there have only about 350 individuals to reach this. Wow, wow. Yeah, I, I just. Uh, 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 and and I know that from your amazing 100, 177th uh, person to achieve the grand slam and listen to uh list which i think you did back in 2006 2006 yeah right. wow amazing um um you have to um prove that you were there you, know, you, have, you have to not only do you have to sh- share your um, uh but you have to have somebody um test somebody has somebody has to write in as well so wow yeah you know it's you know, is fair enough, really, because I'm sure there's many people who who like who like to think that they can do it from the arms of their chair at home. At home. Right. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of art climbers. Climbers. <laughs> uh, so all about all about brain health, and I'm just so excited to talk about context context of your journey of uh, adventure. What does optimal brain brain health mean for you personally? Um, excuse me. Um, you know, I think for me, it's, uh, you know, kind of what I talked about in change. Optimum brain health is having the ability 
to encounter adversity, you know, obviously with mountain climbing and or with um, uh, life situations uh, and be able to adapt, analyze, uh, observe, adapt, and then still flourish, mm. right? And, and also kind of knowing when enough is enough. You know, there's those individuals that that uh, will beat a dead horse, so to speak, right? Yeah. So having a healthy body, healthy mind, optimal brain health is really something that um, emotional intelligence, uh, strategy, uh, compassion, you know, communication, all those kind of things, and putting it all together when it's really necessary. I've seen people in the wilderness freeze and yeah. you know, not be able to function. And so yeah. that's, that's just not gonna, it's not gonna cut it when you're out there, right? No. I, do you know, I loved how you do on that because I like to look at the four quadrants of our well-being, which is our emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual. And, mm -hmm. and you mentioned all of those. And it's important to remember that physically, like we can't, ha having it all physically dialed in doesn't mean that we're gonna be successful. Right. <laughs> Right. Because you need to be able to leverage your emotions, whatever mm -hmm. they may happen to be. And I'd love to talk about that in, in a bit. Mm -hmm. um, it is whatever they are, is to acknowledge them, accept them, and mm -hmm. then express them in a way that's constructive and not destructive mm -hmm. to you. Um, and then also a tap into that mental ability, mm -hmm. um, and mental resilience in terms of the thoughts that we're listening to, having that clarity of thought and be able to focus on what we want to accomplish and finally mm -hmm. that spiritual uh resilience if you will spiritual well-being is to mm -hmm. to know what our goal is and 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 look beyond the goal because mm -hmm. there can if your goal is uh to climb everest as, as you know there's always another day to climb it mm -hmm. uh but if you put yourself in a situation where you think you're physically robust enough but actually reality is mentally you you don't have it is you is you may there may never be another day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh and I, I think that's really important that we look at all of those aspects from a from a brain health perspective to to know where we're at know where we want to go and then we can can dial into the areas that we we need to work on so i'd like i'd love to dial into this at the start of your journey because uh, I love your book, Lead from the from the top, because it it's just I was just reliving some of my adventures when I, was, when I was reading it and the experiences you have in translating that into the project world and the corporate world to help people really uncover their strengths and, right. and acknowledge their weaknesses. So uh, let's go back to the beginning of your journey when you okay. first got that adventure bug. Um, would, would you mind taking us back to I know, you know, you're when you were growing up, you uh -huh. it, it wasn't really in you, was it? That adventurous bug didn't really exist until there was this real tipping point. Could you take us to to tell us your story to get sure, to that sure. adventure you went on? I, I always tell people I'm I'm kind of that commoner, you know, I'm the one that you meet at the grocery store or talking to the checkout lady at, you know, uh, at the post office or whatever, you know. So um, I didn't come from a climbing legacy, but, you know, I came from the Midwest and ran around and you know played in streams, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I had an opportunity um, 
uh, I had heard, you know, back to this climate change and it's been happening many, many years, not just, you know, in the front news today. I heard that the snows on Kilimanjaro were melting, disappearing. And yeah. Kilimanjaro had been really this iconic thing in my childhood. I'd watched it on television, you know, the Serengeti and in the background. And it was something I thought I really wanted to do. So I contacted a friend of mine who had um, was pursuing the seven summits and he mm -hmm. told me a little bit about it and kind of prepped me and um, I went and climbed it. And I had done some, you know, some hard things in the past. I, I had done the boundary waters, uh, canoed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but nothing was quite mm -hmm. like this mountain. Um, and when I got done, I, I was, just sort of sad. I, I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know what was going over me. So I contacted my friend and, and he said, oh, well, you've got it. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did I have? Did I have a parasite from, you know, Africa? What do I have? And he goes, I think you have the climbing bug. And so he kind of recommended that I go off to mountaineering school in Alaska. And so I went and it was the hardest thing I'd ever done to date. But there was something wow. about that, um, as you know, from the military, you know, there's something about that that gives you not only self-worth, but self-confidence and yearning for more, right? Yearning mm. for more. So then I went on to um, go to Russia and I met my climbing buddies. He and I ended up doing a lot of climbing after that together. Um, but I, I was hooked. You know, that fish is like, oh, you know, I think I could try this. Mm. So um, I and my new climbing buddy started clicking off the seven summits. Wow. You know how it happened. And, you know, it didn't just happen <laughs> uh, <laughs> because you don't just show up at the bottom of Kilimanjaro and go, I'm going to climb this mountain. No. <laughs> well, some people do. Uh, yes. But they generally I think they're young. Successfully. <laughs> um, so I, what I love about your book is is the journey that you have to go on just to get to the start yeah uh, and that's so important that we kind of think that and it you know certain parts in our life we just can start yeah. but the start is often a lot earlier yes. <laughs> than yes. perhaps we think think it is in the context of of you know walking that walking along that uh path or walking along that trekking right. uh, that you're doing so right. could you just just Describe for the listeners, you know, in terms of the training, uh, how you evolved your workbook, your plan, yeah, uh, just to get to the start of the trek to go up. Yes, so it, it's um, so in any expedition, you have to. It takes a while to get a lot of times, even just to the base of the mountain before you start your climb. So you have to yeah. be prepared for walking hours. Hour, all day mm. and people think oh i could i could i could walk all no probably not you know if most people who walk two hours are exhausted mm. i'm talking six hours skiing to the south pole 10 hours mm. you know, these are the kind of things that you have to put your body into but your mental state as well it's not you can be as physical as possible but how are you going to continue to take those steps Mm. Um, and so the training was uh, a lot of you know, backpack. Uh, I put cat sand in it, <laughs> you know, started with the kitty litter and then uh, continued to add up in weight. And 
I had a little tiny hill close to me and I walked up and down and up and down. And um, I was a runner in a previous life. <laughs> so <laughs> I realized that from running, the mentality is, is if you can do six miles, you can do 12 miles. So if you're in shape to do, you, you can double your mileage. Yeah. So um, what I ended up doing is I made sure that I could walk with my weight um, for Kilimanjaro about four, four hours. And mm -hmm. then I knew I could, you know, take on the challenge. Right. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, and it went up from there. I mean, Kilimanjaro is, it's a tough mountain. It, I, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, it's merely a hike. A lot of people will say that, but it's, it's a different kind of a hike. It's a mountain hike. Mm. So, um, but well, it's uh, altitude. You've got the yeah, altitude well, sickness uh, yeah. potentially cont yeah. to contend with, and all the all the differences within the group as well. Yeah, and so, uh, but to get to the top of Everest and down again, because that's important. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a two month journey. So the training and the 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 physical and mental um, tie in has to be real. I mean, it, it has. Yeah. You have to have real intent so yeah and and what do you think um what was the real spark for you it, to, to to do it were you doing it to um prove something to yourself were you doing it to uh have an accomplishment that you could hang your hat what was that what was that real driver to, I mean, taking on one mountain is, you know, a challenge in itself, you know, if we just take Everest, but you mm -hmm. took on seven <laughs> and the North and the South Pole. Um, what was the, was it just like, I need to do more, like, and this gives me more? What was, what was it for you? So I climbed them in, in what is sort of a sequential order. <clears throat> so not necessarily the lowest to the highest, though you could sort of say that. <clears throat> but excuse me, it was more or less the easier to the hardest. Okay. Some people start Makes with sense. yeah Everest. And I agreed, I made an agreement with myself that I could stop at any time if this was a crazy mm -hmm. adventure or venture, or if it was too hard. Um, but I, I found that it was, I, I can't, you know, it was just this desire to do the next. Yeah. Um, and the, the third mountain, let's see, one, two, the fourth mountain I attempted, Aconcagua, I didn't make it. Uh -huh. And I consulted my climbing buddy and she goes, oh, yeah, there's always one you don't make. You just got to go back and do it again. So her attitude for me, she didn't make Denali, but that was next on our list. We were heading off together with Denali. Uh -huh. So she just said, you know, brush off the, the scraped knee and keep going. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And it was great to have a companion like her. We, we we're still very good friends. And we would just wake up in the morning laughing and giggling in our tent and everybody would wonder what kind of, you know, what juice are you guys drinking? So the attitude, you know, having this positive 
companion motivated you even like the ridiculousness of we're in this tent and there's frost and we've got you know all this kind of stuff yeah and we just would laugh and laugh and laugh that we were in this situation <laughs> but it just kept us going you know so recognizing being in that moment and just you know, embracing it and finding humor in it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, honestly, I think that's so important. I think for some of my adventures, I maybe didn't have as much humor as I perhaps should have done. But but one of the things that I would do when I would go climbing, particularly when I would go by myself, is is carry a little teddy with me. Because it always, because <laughs> I'm chuckling now, it would always make me chuckle because it's so immature to carry a little teddy. But at the same time, it's very funny because you can bring that child sense of humor to the situation. Um, uh, and when it, you know, you get into adversity, you could say, well, you know, at least I've got my teddy with me or, or what. And I know lots of other climbing buddies that take a bit, not just little teddies, but take full size teddies from when they're little with them as their, as their motivator yeah. to, to keep going. Uh, and to have that little bit of humor as well is so important. I had a, a puppet, a little puppet mouse. Oh, did you? Melk <laughs> on Everest. And every night I, I wanted to make sure that he didn't get frosty. So I put him in a little, <laughs> I know. So I put him in a little gear bag. And I had, by oh, this time, I had a lot of um, uh, significant things that I would wear on my neck. Right. And yeah. so I would cover it up and, and put it on him and I would close him up and, okay, good night, Melk. And my next door neighbor tent uh, mate, not, you know, we slept in our own tents in, on yeah. Everest at the base camp. And he would go, who are you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> Every night you say goodnight to this thing. And I'm like, yeah. But yeah, he, he climbed Everest with me. But I, I think that's brilliant um, <laughs> because it allows you to get out of your own skin uh, uh, and even when you're alone, you've got somebody to talk to who, who can listen to you and not judge you. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I would like to write a children's book using this, you know, this little guy. You that know. sounds brilliant. That yeah. sounds brilliant. But it's so important. And, and what I loved about your journey to Everest is, is there were other little nuances that you would bring with you to... Um, lift your spirits and you know from a brain health perspective i like to think about the five pillars of our feelings our actions our connections our thoughts and our surroundings mm -hmm. and our surroundings is something that we don't pay enough credence to mm -hmm. in terms of our health and well-being and uh, mm -hmm. and how it can motivate us and lift our spirits and, and lift our journey and as as we started the conversation it can also pull us down if there are natural mm -hmm. disasters which we uh, experience in our life which are continuing to get worse as the climate as the right. climate warms right. but nevertheless there is always a lovely piece of nature or connection to our senses that can really ground us and, and bring us into the present and bring us back to past memories that really serve us in a positive way mm -hmm. would you just describe what you brought to your tent uh at the base camp well um so uh and this, why it was important yeah so um i'm i'm writing two other books and and this will come out uh, because i think we bring this to the table in our daily lives and in our work and even in our play um i i would sort of 
go through this ritual thinking somewhat like the samurai warrior. So you've uh -huh. done your training, you've done your mental penance and dedication. And then also I would have, like I said, I had, um, um, oh, a couple of um, uh, trinkets that I carried with me on all the mountains and things that I was going to give to my kids. I had children at the time. They were in junior high, high school age. And I thought, uh, you know, when I'm done with all this, this is something I want to share with them. But they became more of a talisman, right? So they were super important to me. And the, the uh, monks would bless us and put on a red, um, uh, just this braided rope kind of thing. And yeah. these things became very spiritually significant, almost yeah. giving power in some aspects. Yeah. So every climb, I would bring this power with me. It, I, I, it's hard to describe, but it, it was personal, spiritual, blessed. Uh -huh. And so all of this was something that I think that people in my coaching, I ask what their talisman is. What, what are you, what is yeah. it that you have that you put on? What's your, it could be a, um, uh, a suit, you know, yeah. that's how you show up and this empowers you. It could be that tie. It's well, I've got a necklace on. So yeah. this necklace I, is from my family. My, my mom and dad got it for me and it's important. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's See? important. Yeah. yeah. So these things help us and, and you can feel them. They get hot, yeah. they get cold. They, you know, this is why I told you I put it over milk at nighttime because it would get cold. <laughs> <laughs> Let him keep that safe. <laughs> so yeah and i think it's important to bring that um to the table bring that you know i'm ready i'm ready you know yeah. I've, I've done my job i've i've got my education i've got my learnings i've stumbled i've fallen i have my experience and i feel yeah. that we need to bring that to our daily lives yeah i i, I totally agree and i love that when you uh when you're in your tent you put some herbs out and the, the heat of the sun oh, yeah, yeah the heat of the sun oh, would yeah. warm the herbs and bring yeah. this lovely smell this yes. aromatherapy tent yeah. so you know i would you, every ounce you carry it you know it equals a kilo and a kilo can be a killer that's you know absolutely certainly. yeah yeah and you know so um i would bring a couple things that that were important to me like camping can be a smelly thing. And even though yeah. I cleaned every day or you know, get, uh, some people didn't, but I did. Um, yeah. But yes, I had a little sachet that I would, you know, they're not, they don't weigh them a, a lot, but it just adds to the weight. And I would put it up in the top of the tents, have a little kind of netting and the sun would shine on it and warm it. And you could smell roses. Or wow. I, I had lavender in my sleeping bag because that was very soothing to sleep at nighttime. That's a great thing to use for sleep from yeah. a brain perspective. And then I had a little bit, just a little glass bit of perfume that I would pack uh -huh. and 
And I would just put a little bit for me. Nobody smells you, you know, but you smell yourself. You smell you, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I mean, like I said, Everest, even though I I did shower on Everest, it's a two-month adventure. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, and you're not necessarily washing your clothes. So I I did take some things that were very aromatherapy. And, you know, I I got a little criticized from some of the individuals. Oh, you're bringing perfume. It's like, it's not for you. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) But for that calming of the brain. Sometimes uh, you're you're sweating hard. You're going up the Kumbu Icefall. And you can kind of smell something that's soothing for you. Oh, that's brilliant. And and do you know what I really loved as well that you brought with you was your uh, thermometer that you would measure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the temperature around every, you. Yes, exactly. So I, I still it has a little wind gauge, like that's useless, but it had a thermometer on it. And instead of having it, you know, I, I would always wear it around me. And so I, I no matter where I was, it seemed to always be 13 degrees, right? And I know yeah. that the temperature oftentimes was much colder than that. But it was very comforting to me, like this force field, like I can emit at least 13 degrees out here. <laughs> you know, I am, I'm encased, I'm in bubbles. I'm invincible. I know. <laughs> I'm on the top of Everest. Oh, 13 degrees, I'm fine. <laughs> but that is, you know, it's such a, a small thing in our lives. You know, we focus on the big things that are the big needle movers, but actually often it's the littlest things in, in our mind, in our mind that can make the biggest difference. Just having the the smell back to, you know, to soothe your mind. And we know from science that, that lavender is very soothing and having those smells back, you know, that you can relate to is incredibly soothing. And I love that you put lavender in your sleeping bag. I'm definitely going to take that one forward. And also having that awareness of your surroundings, your personal, like your physical aurora. Yeah. Um, that that it was in control. Yeah. You know, that sense of control that you had with your body, which control which really controlled your mind. It and, does. and it's so important. And we don't take I don't think we necessarily pay enough of credence to these little things that make the big differences for us. Right, right. You know, we talk about aura and we talk about it, but, you know, in my mind, I could really visualize it with my little 13 degrees, you know. Yeah. I have extension. I have this outer giving power, right? And so you're right. That, that really did calm my mind. It was on the South Pole. It was on the North. Some of the coldest places in the world. And yet I seem to have some control over my own little biosphere. Yeah. And mentally, that is, that is, and we all do, you know, yeah. we all do. Yeah. If, if I could physically see it, then oftentimes yeah. we can't physically see it on a day-to-day, yeah. but that gives just that image gives comfort to the brain that yeah. I I'm in control here. Yeah. Isn't it funny though that we uh need external validation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you needed that external temperature yeah. measure 
to validate what actually you already knew subconsciously that you were okay, yeah. but you had to tell yourself you were okay mm -hmm. to be okay. Yeah. And I just find that fascinating as well in the context of how it's so easy for our mind to play tricks on us. Uh, and I'd love to talk about your journey up the uh, up Everest uh, uh, and to break it down of an importance of us building that uh, mindset that we need to overcome adversity uh, and to really unchain the pain that we may experience on our journeys is could you just tell us a little bit about your your journey because I know there were some very difficult pieces of your journey where you could have easily uh, thrown the towel in yeah. and actually there were little things that yeah. happened yeah that's that, that stopped stopped that from from occurring so um it's a long journey and you you kind of climb everest four times that's confusing for people but because mm -hmm. of the altitude you you have to go up and then you have to go down you can't just walk straight up five miles into the air, um, into the atmosphere, um, because of the, the things that would happen in your brain or your lungs. Yeah. Right. So, um, you go up, you acclimatize, you get used to that lesser oxygen level, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'd gone through a lot of things on the way, as I said, it's a long journey. Mm. Um, but that determination, you know, you, you, I'm here. We're heading finally for the top. And we get up to the death zone. That's what it's called. I didn't name it. Mm -hmm. It's about 26,000 feet, which is the body just starts to die. Uh, yeah. If you're there too long, um, but you have limited supply of oxygen and you have so many days, nights uh, that you can be up there before you really just have to turn down because you have you're carrying these cylinders of oxygen and, and it has a minimal amount. Um, you don't have an endless supply. And the first night we headed out, uh, we had climbed up to our our camps, gotten into our tents, tried to go to sleep because uh, we were going to push out that same night. Um, uh, the weather was supposed to be good. Uh, and but when the, about I don't know, in the afternoon at some point, I, um, I have it documented. Um, uh, it's the wind started blowing mm. and you're like, well, it's, it's, you know, no, no star, no star. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a 10 year anniversary of uh, the book that um, Into Thin Air. Where yeah. John Krakauer is amazing. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, of course, you know, it's fresh in our mind. They had a ceremony early, you know, so everything, you know. Um, so you're a little bit worried that, gosh, a storm is coming in. But indeed, mm. um, 26,000 is in a call, right? So it's it's the saddle between the two mountains, Everest yeah. on one side and Lhotse on the other. So the wind can come in through here. And sometimes it just sort of circles around along the two faces going back and forth. It's called yeah. a spin drift or a, 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 it's spin drift, like a dust devil or a water yeah. spout. And so this is actually what was happening. But when we got out of our tents and you're all bundled up, you have your summit suit. It's like two sleeping bags and oxygen and face mask and everything. You know, you're just completely covered. 
the moment I stepped out, the inside of my goggles frosted all up. And it was because my face was too warm for, I didn't look at my 13 degrees. My face was too warm for what was happening outside. And so I ended up going through three pair of goggles and every one did the same thing. So um, the Sirdar, the head of the Sherpas, you know, the the people who live indigenously and and then help in the mountaineering, um, he told me to go without them, which in you know spin drift and at 26,000 was probably not a great idea but no choice right so we walked along in this condition for about an hour and um, of course your feet are being buried in snow so when you walk on top of the snow you know you, you these are still boots that have plastic inside and they have fabric on the outside. So they're, you know, your socks and your body heat is what's really heating those boots in the yeah. end. Um, and so walking in through snow just keeps chilling the boot over and over and over. Again. Yeah. So uh, my feet started getting what I thought might be frostbite. My face is getting just pummeled. Just pummeled. Yeah, just horrendous. I can't imagine. I've been in... in you know, whiteouts, it's horrific. So Yeah, yeah. So I, um, you know, our Sirdar uh, Lakpa came up the side and was checking in on everybody. And I, I said, I got to turn. I'm, I'm not Everest quality if this is how I have to do it. I'm not going to risk my face. I'm not going to risk my feet. And we're mm. just started, <laughs> you know, an hour out. So he pulls me offline and he, he double checks. We'd been on a couple mountains together already. And he, you know, he knew me and, and really wanted to check in. And I said, no, I'm, I'm just, this is not for me. And so he, at, at the, the policy with this climbing company and, and most of the climbing companies is um, the sh- another Sherpa is assigned to you. And if you have to turn at any time, they go back. So we turned around and we went back and, Thank goodness, uh, you know, he opens up my my door, unzips my tent door, and I get in, and I have snow everywhere. It's like a fire hose that sprayed this fine dust in every fold and crevice. And so um, you can't get into a sleeping bag with this kind of stuff. Uh, we have down bags, and so yeah. they get wet. Yeah. Wet bag, down bag. Doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the reason you take down is because it's lighter than synthetic, right? Yeah. So anyway, so I stood up and brushed as much as I could in the corner, took my jacket off and, you know, but I was exhausted. I was yeah. just exhausted mentally. And your oxygen mask on at the, at the time as well. So it's not yeah. just like normal breathing. You were, yeah. you know, deficient yeah. of oxygen, only 30%, yeah. isn't it, at that level? So. So I laid down and I got in my sleeping bag and I did something I'd never done before. I got in the sleeping bag with my down pants on. You know, that's how just I wasn't necessarily cold. I just could not remove one more piece of anything. Yeah. And I laid down and I must have fallen asleep immediately, just dead to the world. And a little while later, I well, I I don't know what time it was, but I hear the tent door opening. My partner came in and I pushed myself up and I said, congratulations for summiting Everest. And he said in sort of the same flat mindset I had, oh, I turned an hour after you did. We're all back. 
<laughs> so I lay back <laughs> down and I'm going, genius. You know, <laughs> I, I'm so smart. <laughs> Why were they out there another hour? <laughs> you know, there's still some humor in my mind, you know. But I mean, you had the, you had the, uh, obviously the early, much earlier warning signs yeah, that you needed yeah. to turn because you didn't have goggles on. Yeah. <laughs> So um, he came in and I realized, oh my gosh, I should ask if I can help him because it was such a struggle. And luckily, yeah, thank yeah. goodness he said no. But the next day that spindrift kept going and going and going and really demons came. So at that level, um, there are many bodies that are kind of scattered around who have died. Yeah, and I'm telling you, those ghosts came to visit me. Wow. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm not going to be one of those where if this doesn't stop, we're never going to get another chance. You know, we're going to have to go down. And it was a dismal, dismal day. And you'd already spent, you know, a month and a half climatizing <laughs> to get just to there, just to make it clear to everyone is this wasn't you just gone up Everest, you know, and this was camp four and it was four days. This was a whole heap of acclimatization with a cough that you'd had you know that you were getting over and everything as well that you just literally got over having gone all the way back down uh, and then back up again so it was a real journey just to get yeah. to where you were yeah yeah it wasn't um I had a friend <clears throat> one of my climbing friends from Denali and he said you know you didn't get a taxi ride up there <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, nobody ubered me no <laughs> yeah. or helicoptered you or yeah, yeah. This was this was yeah a journey yeah and so at this point all of that is kind of crushing down on you and you know i really have to thank my tent mate at the time because he was he, he kept the light on for me no it's it's okay wow. let's you know let's and sometimes you need that you know i just couldn't get out of the funk because i'd already turned once i'd already kind of said in my mind i'm I'm not okay. going to, yeah. Um, so, um, you know, about, uh, this is the most amazing thing. I I don't necessarily believe in miracles, but I love this story. So. Oh, I love this one. I can't wait <laughs> to tell it. Yeah. So um, about four o'clock, three o'clock, 3.30 in the afternoon, I heard some noise. I mean, we had to be dug out. The yeah. snow covered our tents. We had to, our shell had to be dug, you know, everything. It was just dismal, dismal. And about 4, 3.30, uh, we heard the neighbor tent, our, our team, some rustling around, noise, you know, talking, blah, blah, blah. And um, I would learn later that the guide shushed two of the um, my teammates out into the bad weather. When we were at um, a monastery coming up, um, the Rinpoche, the, the Buddhist monk there, blessed us all and yeah. wrote a blessing on a card. And you have to ask permission to climb Everest from yeah. the goddess who lives on top. And we all had one in our backpack. We brought them all. It was important yeah. that we took them on our journey. I always had it in my backpack the whole time, right? But yeah. So the guide shushed two of our my climbing buddies out, and one of them goes out, lifts up the card. The wind's shaking, you know, like the prayer off of the card, you know. Yeah. And he goes back in, and and my other friend goes out, and he does the same thing, and you know, just 
howling wind out there, you know, and he goes back in and asking the goddess to grant us permission. Yeah. And in half an hour, the wind subsided. Wow. And I have, you know, I have, I have no idea if it was the card, but I'm not going to say it wasn't, you know? No. Because you do ask permission of higher power in many parts of your lives. Yeah. And we were granted the blessing to try again. Wow. Now, whether we would make it or not, but safe passage was blessed upon us. Yeah. And the was stuff that you couldn't control. No, no. Yeah. You know, the mountain's going to do what the mountain's going to do, but we might've forgotten to take the right steps mm -hmm. and upon taking the right steps. The wind subsided. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was an wow. amazing, I, I, yeah. And then you, obviously you went onwards that evening. You left at eight, didn't you? Yeah. You that night we got ready. We got going. Uh, we were on hot standby, they call it, you know? Yeah. And so out the door we went, everything's fine. Um, off we went up to goggles this, working, yeah, all everything yeah, was goggle, all oxygen's flowing, <laughs> toes, fingers, everything's okay. <laughs> But uh, it was a tough night. Um, you know, you go, you climb over the night so that you can get there in, hopefully for sunrise. But the most important thing is to come down in the light. Yeah. So um, that's when you're the most tired. That's when the most accidents can happen. That's when, you know, things you, you want to have, people want visual, right? Mm -hmm. It used to not be that way, but it, it's it's been changed, especially after... Um, to, uh, 2014, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's, uh, 96. Oh, 96. Yeah. <clears throat> 96 after that. So anyway, so, um, uh, it was, it's very, very steep. There's this huge pyramid and I mean, talk about, yeah, traverse, you know how mountain climbing is. It's not a straight line no. back and forth. And it's much like skiing downhill, you know, yeah. sure. You can go straight down, but straight. better to go back and forth. Right. So same thing you traverse, traverse and hours into it. Um, you know, my feet were getting cold because you don't, it, first of all, that you don't generate, you're not, your metabolism isn't roaring. Right. Yeah. You're going slowly. You don't have a lot of oxygen. I have this thing called Raynaud's, which shuts down my fingers and toes. The yeah. circulation stays more in my organs and my brain. It's kind of a shunt. And so my feet are getting super cold. And um, uh, one of the guides comes up to me, asks, you know, checks in. And I said, you know, gosh, you know, my, my foot is freezing. So we get up to this, um, they call it the bench. <clears throat> bench, it's just a, kind of a flat area to sit. And he kind of points me over to one of the Sherpas who's sitting down and he says, you know, take your boot off. I'm like, take my boot off. <laughs> so, which foot is it? Yeah. So we've all been taught in mountaineering, you know, first aid, how to help somebody who has hypothermia or has, you know, frostbit toes. So I took off my boot and, you know, my foot is steaming. You can just see the yeah. steam come off the socks. And the Sherpa takes his hands and slaps my foot, starts rubbing it. It hurt so bad. It was like, you know, that I screamed out loud. 
but he starts until I can kind of feel it. Then he takes my foot under his parka, under his armpit inside and puts it there until my toes are actually moving. Wow. And helps me put my boot back on. Then my friend comes up to me, you know, this is just another mental piece of the whole puzzle. You know, he comes up to me, the guide and says, would you like a Viagra? And, you know, now I'm probably at 27 <laughs> out, and I'm like, yeah, but what? <laughs> but a Viagra is a vasodilator, so it could possibly help my fingers and toes. Yeah. Told by many, many physicians, well, there's better stuff than that. And I'm like, well, you're not at 27,000 feet on Everest. You know, there's not a Walgreens. <laughs> so, you know, at first I'm like, no, no, I don't need that. And then I'm like, I have come this far on this journey and I'm not doing everything possible to make it to the top. So I say, hold on. Yes, I'll take that. You know, open my water bottle, pop it in my mouth, take a big swig of water, you know. Plus, I knew that the sun was about to come. I'd been walking into this just amazing black abyss of the sky, you know. Yeah. And so I knew the sun was going to come. And no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, once the sun hits me, I start to warm up. Yeah. So I know indeed that if, if I can just hold out until the sun kind of comes over, I'll be okay. Wow. So um, we turn and the trajectory is a little different. And we start marching up towards what they call the South Summit. And there's just a peak. It's kind of a, a false peak, if you will. It's not the real summit. It's kind yeah. of, you know, on the south side, you got to get over before you head up towards the end. And as I'm walking, you know, my head's down and you're focusing one step at a time. And every time I look up, it's just the right pitch. And I look like I'm walking into the universe. Wow. I've never been so close. I, I kind of got a taste of maybe what astronauts experience. Yeah. I've never been into outer space, but it was the closest I'll ever come. It was just wow. amazing. And as I continue to walk along, I look over to my right and you could see it, the sun starting to just come over the horizon. And I'm so excited because I know, you know, and then I look again and I can actually see again, much like an astronaut, the curvature of the earth, wow. just with the sun, kind of that yellowish, pinkish sort of color coming up. I, it was just, I can't describe it. It's just yeah. so incredible. It's the shots that you get from outer space. Same wow. thing. And then it happened, you know, the sun comes up. And yes, indeed, I get warm. My toes and fingers are fine. It was just amazing. Wow. So we get up to the South Summit and I look kind of past the South Summit and, and the sun is hitting the peak of Everest, but Everest is casting a shadow over the land and it's a perfect pyramid. And I'm like, oh, everybody, I look. <laughs> and I'm like, that is where the Tibetan gold is buried. I'm sure of it. You know, look <laughs> <Take> a picture. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So we all took a picture and then on 
downward to the top, you know, over this thing, down into this little, oh, just landing kind of to, per se. And up ahead lie the Hillary Step and the summit of Everest and this ridge that you have to pass. So we stop for a moment to take a break, regroup, and I'm kind of moving over to the right as my fellow teammates are coming down on the left. And all of a sudden, Lakpa, the Surtur, grabs my arm. He goes, no, 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 that's a cornice over there. And I'm like, okay. Well, a cornice, for those who you know, don't know, yeah. I didn't know until I started climbing mountains, is where the wind pushes the snow on the ridge, but it'll catch and freeze and it'll go over the ridge. Over. So there's nothing underneath. Mm. So you don't know how far out there's land and then not land. Nothing. Mm. Yeah. So he pulls me back and I come back over and there's sort of a little, oh, indent kind of, not quite a cave, but sort of like a little impression. And I see that there's a dead body over there. And so, you know, I move back to center and just kind of hang until we have to move. Wow. Yeah. So the reality of, you know, where I am, the past, um, possible outcomes, a somber moment. Mm. And then I pick up, you know, we have anchor lines that we click into. So if we fall, we don't fall to our death off the side of a mountain. And I pick up this line. It's not connected to anything on our side. <laughs> I can see it's anchored on the other side, but there's, and we have to go across this traverse, and it's, it's not very big. And I talk to my guide. I'm like, this isn't anchored in. I don't know if I can go on from here. And he turns to me. I can laugh now, uh, bless his soul. But we, we can, <laughs> we can. I had been on six of seven of these mountains with this man, and you'd think he would give me a pep talk, you know, like now is the time to, you know, put your curt. No, instead he turns to me and he looks at the mountain top and turns to me again. He says. Many have not gone on from here. <laughs> that is no motivation. So, <laughs> so I got so mad. So maybe it did work. It I was motivation. Yeah. I walked across and I clicked into the anchored line and I started climbing. Yeah. And, so and I think that's so powerful because you leveraged <laughs> your anger, you know, at the moment where you could have just given up. Yeah. It yeah. is, uh, and many do is you use that anger yeah. to best effect and that that really powerful emotion often <laughs> uh, so drives mad. us forward in life and and we we can see it as a negative but actually it can be incredibly powerful and positive and it got you over the hillary yeah. step didn't it yeah yeah so you know just an amazing you know climbing over those two big boulders just before the summit yeah you know, yeah. people can throw huge obstacles at you. Yeah. And uh, it's about having the wherewithal to overcome them. Yep. 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 And you made it. I did. Yeah, it was the most awesome view I've ever had. And we were very fortunate. The weather was just 
you know, I, I, I do public speaking or professional speaking. And I always say, when I get to the top telling the story, I can see my house. I'm like, okay, well maybe not my house. <laughs> but I think this is a great analogy to our journey in life is that we, you know, obviously it was an incredibly difficult, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an, an inordinate amount of pain, mm -hmm. Uh, it, uh, mentally that you had to unchain, you know, from a mindset perspective to keep going, you know, a, a, as you said, it was in the dark, someone came with the light to help you. And sometimes we think we have to go through the darkness ourselves, mm -hmm. but actually it's getting those people on your journey to help you on your journey mm -hmm. that makes that journey so much more enjoyable, like the laughter in the tent and uh, and the light in the in the tent and and the little teddy getting the little guy getting tucked into his own personal sleeping bag and the people in your team who who spoke to the to the gods of the mountain to help you know create a safe passage and having that teamwork and knowing that to get somewhere in life it's not just about trying to forge it alone it's about knowing how you can leverage the strengths of everybody on your journey uh, to help you get to the top you know with the sherpa that helped warm your feet the viagra <laughs> there's so many things that go beyond ourselves isn't it that helps us i just think it's an amazing analogy for for life's adventure yes i agree um we are you know you're born alone so to speak and you die alone so to speak that journey is your own however along the way it's never alone and that's yeah. you know you you are with people throughout your entire life and i think that relying and interacting and socializing and that's not facebook right yeah uh, socializing with people is um important um for for success yeah, yeah. Uh, and what was the what would you say was the really was the hardest of the whole journey and i know that we have stuff we haven't even talked about you know with the uh lotsi um the kumbu glacier and the icefall mm -hmm. uh experience but what would you say the the hardest part of that journey was for you that the most painful piece well honestly <clears throat> i think that the hardest part was um i was uh um, going, um, my relationship with my husband was falling apart. Uh, oh, that's good. <laughs> well, but hard. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I, I don't, it's not why I climbed, but as I climbed these mountains, I became a stronger and more independent person. Uh -huh. And the relationship that I was in was very oppressive. Uh -huh. And so um, oftentimes, I remember I was on Choyoyu, which was in Tibet. Uh, it's a 8,000 meter peak. I had to see if I could even, if I was worthy of the <laughs> yeah, Himalayas, you know, yeah. could I even, so it's the sixth tallest peak. So I did that before I went and blew a lot of money on a mountain that I might never make to the top, right? 
And I, I can remember there going, oh, if I could just make my relationship work. Oh, if I could just go back and be this. If I could just go back and be that. But by the time I hit Everest, it was like, I'm out of this. <laughs> and yeah. so the mental anguish about my relationship over this two years and 83 days was probably the hardest. Um, you yeah. know, when I was going through my divorce, um, my attorney said to me, you know, climbing out of your divorce or your, out of your marriage, I think is harder than climbing Everest. And I think that that's true. Wow. You know, I, I didn't take my marriage vows lightly and I worked very hard to make it work. But as I found myself, my strength, um, throughout these, those years, I, I realized that I was, an, a, I was capable. Yeah. But a lot of those nights lying in a bed, a tent, a sleeping bag were devoted to wrestling with this issue. And I wow. think, so from a mental perspective, you know, you want clarity and you want, that's why I think my, my tent, my buddy, my tent mate helped me through so many of these mountains. Cause we would just laugh that, that, that oppression wasn't on me, mm. but for Everest, she was, she didn't climb Everest. <clears throat> so it was truly um, a lot of mind games. So really you you had two Everests you were climbing at the time. <laughs> I, you were climbing one externally, yeah. you know, with yeah. the, the, the environment and nature. Yeah. And also you were climbing one internally at the same time as well. Yeah, I think so. It didn't, the divorce didn't happen till a while later, but it set the course for, for me. Yeah. And what, what one piece of advice would you, would you give to somebody who has an Everest that they are climbing in their life that is really difficult, it's a really difficult journey that they're going through and they Don't may be up. not sure if they're going to get there. Don't give up. So it, it up. takes one step at a time. Mm. And, and as I, I explained, it, you have a right to turn at any time, but there could be another direction. There could be something else that you realize then is, is it more important than the current one you're, you're climbing. So, mm. you know, Everest is going to do what Everest is going to do. You know, I had one shot at it, but I didn't consider myself a failure at being at 26,000 feet. Right. So yeah. I had a friend who I was on, uh, the South Pole. Well, no, he wasn't on the South Pole. We did um, the mountain on uh, Antarctica together. Uh, he's South African. And the first time he climbed Everest, he made it to um, that place right, right after the South Summit that I said some people turn. And he said he, he turned. And he's a psychologist, I think. And in his mind, he said, I failed. I go, you didn't fail. You climbed the mountain. Just because you didn't yeah, just didn't get that last bit, <laughs> don't <laughs> don't don't ignore all of the steps you took before that. You didn't make that one last step. <laughs> yeah, and so he went back 
and he climbed it again and he did make the top, but then he came back and he wrote a very lengthy email about, you know, you were really right. I didn't have to go back, but I had to learn that when I went back. You have to learn the lesson. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, you, you don't necessarily have climbing the mountain is the journey. Yeah. Standing on the tippy top. Sure. It was cool. But the journey is, you know, the path along the way and where it's leading you and and the whole event, the whole expedition, life's whole expedition. Yeah. Right. It's so important that we acknowledge the journey because we can get so focused on the goal mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and not embrace the journey. And I love that you had that mental clarity at the just at the top to embrace the views and, and all the way up through throughout your book, you talk about it is just really absorbing yeah. everything about the experience, the beauty of nature, uh, the, the connection you, you have with your colleagues, your friends, the teamwork, the knowledge of people and the strengths that they bring mm -hmm. is really absorbing all of that as part of your experience and absorbing your strength your superpower and you know and celebrating what you bring to the table um even though you maybe didn't realize it sometimes but bringing that superpower to the table yeah. um was really i just that was really beautiful and we don't i don't think we acknowledge the journey we're on and and that we are enough yeah oh that we are enough that is that important yeah we are yeah. enough mm -hmm. i think and, and thank you so much for sharing your true everest that mm -hmm. you yeah, you were going on at the time. Yeah, I don't talk we, about that much. Yeah, because we all, we all, everybody is struggling with something. Yes. And it might not be what you perceive it to be. Mm -hmm. And you'll only find out if you ask the quest, the right questions, mm -hmm. what their true, what mm -hmm. their true Everest is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Suzanne, my goodness, I think we could talk for hours. It's been an absolute, <laughs> just such a blessing and a real pleasure uh, to have you on uh, on the show today on Unchaining Your Pain. Thank you so, so much for your insight into your journey, climbing Everest, both, you know, externally and internally. How can people best get hold of you? Oh, you can reach me at my website. It's www.leadfromthetop.com. Uh, Suzanne at leadfromthetop.com. I'm on um, Facebook. I'm on in, uh, LinkedIn. You can reach at me out there. Um, you know, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to, you know, um, chat, find out what you're looking for, you know, um, just say hi. <laughs> yeah, and do make sure you buy the leap from the top book because it, it's it's just an amazing story and something that we can translate to our also our life experiences. I I loved reading it and so really encourage everybody to to get hold of that copy and learn from Suzanne's experience climbing Everest and all of the other mountains that you did as well. Thank you again. It, I, I, if there's anything I can do to support you on your journey, please uh, do let me know and uh, I'll love to reconnect. The pleasure has been all mine. <laughs> Namaste. Namaste. This broadcast <laughs> is brought to you by Winject Studios. We are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners, downloads, and income. We come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. 
For more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts, access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners, join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.